Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey, we are continuing this series uh, today called Fruitful. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to be fruitful. I don't want to be fruity. I don't want to be fruitful. How I many want to be fruitful, not fruity? Uh, I want you to be fruitful, not fruity. And so that's really good. Uh, we, we started this series. Uh, today's the third week, but week one, we talked about how God is a farmer. We talked about the sower and the seed. We said that the reason why God's a farmer is because he enjoys fruit. Come on, are you with me? And in fact, the fruit in our lives actually is a form of worship. It's a way that we glorify. It's one of the ways that we honor the Lord. So the Lord has given us this incorruptible seed of his word that he has put inside of us. And how many know that when you have something that powerful and that valuable and you invest it, you want to return? Come on, are you with me? So God has put in us the incorruptible seed so that we can bear everlasting fruit. Week two, we talked about bearing fruit. The way that we bear fruit is by remaining in the vine. How many know that it's important that we remain in Jesus, that we don't just get to the end of our day or start off our day by glorifying the Lord. We don't just say, oh God, I honor you today, and then live the rest of our day disconnected from him. But Jesus wants friends. Come on, he doesn't want clients. He wants people that he can be in relationship with, that we can be in communion with Jesus continually. How many of you want that for your life? So if we're going to be fruitful, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. So what, for me, I value the opinion of Jesus, that if I'm doing something outside of connection with him, it counts for nothing. But if we want to have fruitful lives, real fruit, fruit that lasts through the ages, then we got to live connected with Jesus. And today we're going to talk about process. Everybody say process. There's a process of being fruitful. How many know that, that fruit doesn't, all, most fruit doesn't appear overnight, right? Most, there's, a, there's a process. So John chapter 15 is our text. Most of where we're spending our series is in John 15. Jesus says this in verse 1, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener or the farmer. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Everybody say, ouch. And he prunes the branch so, so that they, that do bear fruit, so they produce even more. You have a paper Bible, you want to underline that. Produce even more. Then he says this, verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Then he says, verse 4, what we talked about last week, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot bear fruit or produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. If you will study John 15, which I really encourage you to do as we're going through this series, at least once a week, just open up John 15. In fact, you might spend the all of June and the rest of this month, the next couple of days in this month, just every day. If, if you don't know what to read, then just read John 15 every day. Just soak in it. Just read it, read it, read it, read it, read it until it gets ingrained in you. And But one of the things that you'll find as you study, as you read it, is he actually talks about kind of three degrees of fruit bearing. First of all, he talks about fruit, right? Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. So how do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? How do you know a money tree is a money tree? 
by its money, right? It has money on it. We wish money grew on trees. Come on. Um, so fruit. Now, this is what I would encourage you is don't be satisfied with a little bit of fruit. Because so he talks about these degrees. First of all, he talks about fruit. Secondly, he talks about more fruit. More fruit, verse 2. And then in verse 8, he refers to bearing fruit as much fruit. In fact, he says, uh, if you are my disciples, you will bear much fruit. So there's three levels in the scripture here about bearing fruit. There's fruit. That's kind of like the fruit you wake up with, right? You're in Christ. You have some fruit in your life, right? You might have a bigger smile than you did before you knew Christ. A little bit of fruit. And then there's more fruit. So as we grow in the Lord, we start seeing more fruit show up in our lives, right? And then as we grow in the Lord and we become a disciple, we produce much fruit. In fact, that's the mark of a true disciple is that we bear much fruit, showing ourselves, the way Jesus said it in verse 8, to be my disciples. So there's a process. Some fruit comes instantly. Other fruit takes time. It's a process. We don't like the process, right? We like, our, we like fast food. Come on, we like hot pockets, right? By the way, it takes Hot Pockets longer to cool down than it does to cook. <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're just like, it's not even worth it. Like, you're like, oh, yeah. Well, let's wait a few more hours. That'll be cooled down. Um, <laughs> put it in the freezer for a few minutes. Yeah. So, but if we're willing, listen, if we are willing to commit to the process of being fruitful and we remain in the vine, that we will bear much fruit in our lives. But we have to commit to the process. We have to commit to God's process of us bearing fruit. It's not just as, just as easy. Now, some fruit, again, some fruit just shows up. I'm a believer. Boom. Some fruit shows up. But if you want much fruit, then you've got to commit to the process. And some of us are shallow, right? And so we don't have much fruit. We might have a little bit of fruit or you haven't started producing fruit yet. And so you haven't really committed to the process. And so what happens in your life is, is, is you don't bear much fruit. You just have a little bit of fruit. And I'm convinced that we need to be intolerant of our own lives of bearing much fruit. That I'm not going to be satisfied and say, I'm just not very fruitful, it's really up to me to commit to that process. And let me tell you this morning that the process is painful. It's a painful process to bear fruit. And we don't like to talk about that, right? We, in fact, the goal, our, our biggest goal, in fact, there's probably never been this in a generation before, that our highest goal for most people is to be comfortable, to be comfortable financially, to be, comfortably, uh, to be comfortable with our health care, to be comfortable in our relationships. It's comfort, comfort, comfort. In fact, if something makes me uncomfortable, then what I tend to do is remove myself from the things that make me uncomfortable. But the process, the process to bearing fruit is very uncomfortable. It's painful. And can I tell you today that complacency and comfort can contradict the process of bearing more fruit. Complacency and comfort will contradict the process of you bearing more fruit. If comfort is our goal, then bearing much fruit is not possible. Let me say that again. You can write that down. If comfort is our goal, then bearing fruit, much fruit, is not possible. So if you love your comfort, come on. If you love your comfort and you just want to be comfortable and you don't want any refining, you don't want any knocking off the rough edges, you don't want anything, then you can't expect to be much fruitful. You can just deal with the fruit that you have in your life currently. End of story. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with that in my life. I want to bear much fruit, not just a little fruit. So there's a process. Now, Jesus talks about these two things. Okay, He's, he talks about throwing away or casting away. Then he talks about pruning, right? And I, I want to talk a little bit about that. And the, the first thing that Jesus is really talking about when he says, cuts off every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he's really talking about correction. Everybody say correction. Now, we hate correction. Come on, we do. How many hate correction? You're going to recant that in a few minutes. But correction comes because we're doing something wrong. That's why correction comes. Correction comes because we're doing something wrong. We're going the wrong direction, so we get correction. And then we start going the right direction. With my children, they make bad choices, so I correct them so they'll make better choices. God will also correct you when you are doing the wrong thing because he wants you to do the right thing. And we call correction discipline. If you want to be really old school, we can use the word punishment. Oh, we don't like that word. Most of, mostly because we have a misunderstanding. But God's process of punishment, listen, God's process of discipline is for the intent of correcting us. Are you with me? Making a wrong thing right. You get corrected because you're doing the wrong things. You have the wrong fruit. You have the wrong behavior. What if I told you that God can approve of you 100% yet at the same time rebuke you because you are making foolish decisions. I mean, how good of a God would we serve if I'm doing something stupid and throwing my life away and he doesn't come and speak to me firmly about that? That is not a good God. A good God says, Josh, straighten up. You're ruining your life. Get a job. My good father does that. In fact, if someone is not willing to correct you when you're doing something foolish and they're only willing to flatter you, hoping that you'll or love you into making good decisions, which we call it, which it is loving for God to correct us, by the way. It doesn't feel like love, but it is. Come on. God doesn't enjoy correcting us, but he knows it's necessary for us to bear fruit, much fruit. It's not because he's mad. It's not because he's frustrated or in a bad mood. Listen, if God didn't like you, then he would leave you alone when you make bad choices. So when we make bad choices, God is going, I'm correcting you. I'm giving you this process. And what do we try to do every single time? What do we try to do when God's correcting us? We try to get out of the process. We try to bypass the process instead of saying, I'll undergo the discipline. What do you want to do, God? Instead, we'd rather escape because we don't really want to be fruitful. We would rather be comfortable than be fruitful. But God is our good father. And he says, I will correct you because I want you to bear fruit. Now, the, the word there that Jesus uses is very harsh. He says, I cut off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. So what does that mean? Does that mean that God looks at us when we're not producing fruit if we're a branch? Because Jesus said, you're the branches. And it means that he cuts them off. I want you to study a little. I mean, that's what it says. But the word here in the Greek is a word, aro, A-I-R-O. And the word is this. It means to raise up, to elevate, lift, or to raise up from the ground. 
Now, I really believe the translators kind of got either confused or they're, they're using this word and they thought that we would understand it in a certain way. But if you study down the Greek, it actually means, it doesn't mean really to cut off. It actually means to lift up. And this is what happens. Ten, the tendency of branches, especially new branches, is they have a tendency to grow along the ground. Okay, and then what happens is they grow along the ground is they begin to uh, not get enough sunlight, right? They don't give it enough sunlight. Well, if you don't have sunlight, you don't produce fruit, right? And when the rain comes, instead of the rain nourishing them, it'll actually cause mildew to, to form up on these branches that are growing. So what does the good farmer do? What does the good uh, vine dresser do? The good vine dresser, what he does, if, you, if you'll study uh, vineyards and how vine dressers work, what happens is the, is the, is the farmer or the, the vineyard master, the, the, I'm forgetting the word, the vine dresser, what he'll do is he'll come along with his bucket of water. And what he'll do is he'll go and find those little branches that are down on the ground. He actually will wash them off where there's mildew or wash them off where there's dust, things that will keep them unfruitful. And then he'll pick up, he'll lift up that vine and he'll actually attach it to a higher place in order that it will be fruitful. And so God's correction isn't comfortable. It's not, it's not comfortable God scrubbing off the mildew off your life. It's not comfortable him getting rid of the dust. Don't you? I mean, we really like our lives the way they are. Don't we? Let's just be honest. But God says, this area, let, let's work on this. Let me lift that up. Let me lift that up. Now, it, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. But it's necessary. It's part of the process. And soon, these branches that were sick and useless now began to bear fruit. Are you with me? Now, check this out. Hebrews 12. Now, some people say, well, this is, it's funny how people, they go, well, you know, I know it's Jesus, but that was still under the old covenant. So we like to dismiss this stuff. All right, let's go to Hebrews where it's a little firmer. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. In other words, you've been resisting sin and it hasn't killed you. And you have not forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Here he goes. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as sons. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Verse 8, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Well, God doesn't ever discipline me. Well, then you're not his son or daughter. Mm, moreover, 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 we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respect them for it. How many of you are glad that your dad busted your butt or your mom busted your butt? I'm very glad that my parents did that, right? I'm glad when I was 16 years old and I moved in with my dad and I didn't have any, I'm so glad that he brought the discipline. Whether it was busting my butt or grounding me, I'm glad that I was disciplined, right? I'm glad that he spoke into my life when I was doing stupid things. 
Can I tell you that being a older son, I'm still glad if my dad speaks into my life. Come on. In fact, I crave that even now. Because as we grow and as we mature, we actually crave correction. Because we know we want to be more fruitful. So what do I do? I seek the wisdom of my father. I say, Dad, if I'm doing something stupid, please tell me. Don't flatter me. Don't make me feel good. I want to be fruitful. Come on. Our fathers disciplined us, verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they, as they thought best. But God disciplined us for our own good that we might share in his holiness. How I many you know he wants you holy? How I many you know that holiness is his priority over happiness? Hear me. I've heard people say, well, I just want to be happy, so I don't want to serve God. <laughs> or I don't want to do that that God's calling me to do because I want to be happy. Well, God's priority for you is that you would be holy. And the only way to find true happiness is through the root of holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Oh, it is painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained, trained by it. So what is correction or discipline from the Lord look like? Because I think that some people get it wrong. Now, you kind of have two camps. You kind of have people that say, well, God doesn't ever correct us. He just affirms us. He only affirms us. He's just happy little dancy God with ballerina shoes. He's He's not really, surely, he's surely kind of a real soft God. Right? The other side says God's a mean God, and he's always, everything that happens in you, God's correcting you, and he's got this, like, big rod, and he's just waiting to knock you over the head with it. Right? You kind of have these two extremes. How does God discipline? God disciplines us like a father, like a good father disciplines. Right? Not like our, some of us do. Sometimes we lose it when we, I mean, you know, God I've corrected my children out of anger before, which is a really stupid and foolish thing to do, and God rebukes me for doing that. But God doesn't rebuke out of anger. He rebukes out of love. God corrects out of love. So what is, what is most of the time, God's discipline is a rebuke. I'll get back up here so I can make sure I say this right. This is the way he doesn't discipline us. He doesn't give us sickness. He doesn't give us disease. I mean, how, how, all right, son, you didn't do your homework. So here I'm giving you cancer. Not a good father. Here's a headache. I want you to learn something. That's ridiculous. How is that correcting? How is that, how is that helping me make better choices? Another word for correction is discipline, which means to train. It means to instruct. He doesn't harm us. It may hurt. Come on. And let me say this, that God doesn't shame us. If you feel shame for a decision you made, that's not the Lord. If you're looking back and go, oh, man, I just ruined my life. That's not from the Lord. The Lord's a redeemer, right? I made these decisions. I ruined my life. Listen, come to Jesus. 
the ruined your life is, that's your old life. You have a new life now. And so what? So what if you ruined your life? So what if you did? Your old life, your life is your life anyway, and it's dead. So who cares if you ruined it? Life in him is new anyway. So get rid of the old. He's got a new life. It doesn't matter how much you liked it or how much you hated it. It's, gone. it's, it's done anyway. So get over that. God's not into the shame thing. Come on, are you with me? So he doesn't use these things that some have thought, but he will rebuke us. He will convict you of sinning because he's a good father. He will tell you no. Right? He will say, stop it. He will say, don't ever do it again. He will say, you're ruining it. He will say those things because he's a good father and he doesn't want us to make poor choices. Now, not every hardship, listen, not every hardship is discipline. You getting a flat tire today is probably not the Lord disciplining you. Well, I cussed yesterday and then I got a flat tire today. Do you see how it works? Your bad day isn't God disciplining you. Um, some of those things, listen, some of those things we just live in a fallen world. We make poor choices. Other people make poor choices, etc. However, we are, we are to endure all hardship as discipline. So whatever my hardship is, then I think it's healthy for us to look at that. This could be from the Lord. Scripture tells us over and over again to examine our lives. So when you, if you are facing hardship, not you had a bad day, but you're in a place and things are getting kind of crazy, you can kind of ask the Lord, Lord, are you correcting me? It's healthy. Examine your heart and look at your life. Say, what am I doing wrong? There's nothing wrong with, that's healthy for you to do that. So he does correct us. He tells us no. He rebukes us. Listen to this. If Peter never heard, get behind me, Satan. He would have never heard thousands confess Jesus is Lord. If Peter never heard that from Jesus, Jesus just got through telling Peter, on this revelation, I'm going to build my church. And he's like, yes. He's like, I'm going to die. Peter's like, no, you're not, Lord. We won't let it happen. Get behind me, Satan. That fast. Daddy rebuked him. Right? And then he's like, oh. And then he made some foolish decisions. Those were corrected. Then we see in the book of Acts what happens. Peter stands up, thousands get saved. I'm convinced he needed the rebuke of Jesus. And he got it a lot. Peter did, right? Notice that, notice that the one that got rebuked the most is the one that we see most power from in the book of Acts. The most fruit from. I mean, we're talking about a guy who walks down the street and his shadow falls on people and they get healed. I would call that fruit. <laughs> Yet he was rebuked the most. Y'all are out today? I know it's quiet on here. The word discipline is to train up, to educate. We love being called believers, right? Don't we? However, disciples produce much fruit. If the word, the word disciple implies someone, dev, someone uh, devoted and someone disciplined or someone undergoing discipline. You're a disciple. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make believers. 
That's not what he said. He said, go and make disciples. What are disciples? Disciples are people that are going through instruction. Jesus makes his statement. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So people would say, well, because the word he's spoken to us, understand, he was speaking to the disciples. They gave up their careers to follow him, to be instructed, to be rebuked, to be disciplined by him for three years. He said, you went through the process. It's time to bear fruit. And then we see in the book of Acts, we see the disciples go through more discipline even. Come on. Well, they're not getting sick and they're not getting headaches and complaining. This is the end of the world. They just undergo the hardships that they're going through. Y'all okay today? These, these disciples were imparted to, they were rebuked, they were inspired. And listen, they turned the world upside down. They were willing to undergo the discipline. We have this mentality, again, that says, I just want to be comfortable. So where does refining come from? How does the Lord speak to us? Sometimes it's by the Spirit of God in us. And we like to leave it right there, right? But can I tell you that the Spirit bears witness with the Spirit? That that God put us in community together because sometimes I'm not objective enough by the way the Holy Spirit is speaking. Right? So what happens is the Lord speaks, us, speaks to us something, and we go, oh, that's the devil. That's not the Lord. It didn't feel good. So what he does is he puts you in a community of believers. So He puts you in a marriage with someone who's filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they speak to you. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, Leslie's not here, so I'll make sure and say it right now. That the Lord speaks to me through my wife. Right? There, there are times that I'm going to make a decision. I'm about to make a decision. And I'll, I'll run it by Leslie kind of real quick. This is what I'm going to do. Prideful, right? I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And I say it. She goes, well, do you really think you need to do that? She doesn't, she doesn't get all super spiritual and be like, did you pray about that? There's none of that. She just says, are you sure? That you, I don't really think you need to do that. And, I mean, I'm dead set on it. And then, like, five hours later, I'm reconsidering and saying, yeah, you're right, I probably shouldn't do that, right? Why? Because God puts people in our lives to help bring that correction. So don't when your Christian brother or sister in the Lord comes to you and says, you're not bearing fruit in your life. Don't get all offended and leave the church and run off. God put that person in your life so that you could bear much fruit. Come on. What do we do? I don't like, they weren't very nice to me. They're not gracious. Can I tell you, sometimes the greatest act of grace is speaking a hard word. You know, you really, you really need to possibly work on that. <laughs> we're all like, we, we're so concerned about offending people. We, 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 we've pretty much shut down this whole thing about examining one another. Scripture tells us to do that. Test the fruit of those that call themselves believers. It, the scripture actually calls us to go and examine one another's lives and examine our life and go, let's see. Let's, let's see. Yeah, I'm pretty good, Benny. I see some goodness there. I see some love there. You're doing pretty good. Or we come and we see some works of the flesh. We're like, you know, do you really think that's what you should be doing? We don't ever say that. Why? 
Because we've got into this thing where we love our comfort more than we love our fruit. And so we exclude people. Well, they're just not encouraging to me. Other words, they're not endorsing every decision that I make. They're not saying I make the best decisions. Can I tell you today, you need people in your life, and I need people in my life that will bring the firm word and say, man, are you really sure you need to be doing that? And you need more than one person that can do that. And if you can't receive a rebuke for someone that you call family, then maybe you don't get what this thing called family is. Because we need that. Now, we don't, we're not God's police officers. Come on. We're not going around all the time going, hmm. We walk into a church service and go, let's see. Hmm, let's, see what, let's, let's see what TV preacher says. Oh, did you hear what he said there? Like, what good is that you're examining someone's fruit that you're not in relationship with? Shut your mouth. It's called gossip. I'll bring that to you as your pastor. There's your pastor. Sometimes you're, you, you just need to get off the whole exposing everybody and their dog thing. If you want to talk about something that someone's receiving from them and you need to get in, then, then you do that. You talk one-on-one with that person. But don't be, don't be gossiping online about someone that you don't even know. Well, they're not bearing any fruit. How do you know? Are you spending any time with them? Get me started. That's right. I don't like that brother. He's he's just materialist. All, all he preaches that prosperity gospel. How do you know? Are you in his church? Do you listen to his preaching every week? Are you going to the Bible study? No, but I saw the interview, the edited interview on YouTube. Oh, jeez. All right. We got to get over this thing, like, and then the people that are easiest offended are those that are looking to offend. I've noticed. Listen, if you thrive off being offensive, then then you need to get right with Jesus. Sometimes correction comes from our leaders. Can I tell you this? Sometimes the correction of the Lord comes from our enemies, <laughs> because they're the only ones that'll be real and honest with us. Well, that's not true. Then you go think about it and see if it's true or not. Is it true? No, no, it's not true at all. They're so discouraging. I just, I'm just going to stay away from that person. I'm going to eliminate that person from my life. All this negativity. Maybe you need to hear something negative. You don't need to surround yourself with it, but you might need to hear that negative word. Maybe you need that brutal, honest word from someone. Right? Come on. Listen, Proverbs 12.1. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Um, the NIV is a little bit more blunt about it. It says it this way. Those who hate correction are stupid. <laughs> let's, cut, let's mark that one out. Let's highlight that with a Sharpie. <laughs> right? Yeah, those who hate correction are stupid. So don't hate correction. It's for your good. To learn, you must love discipline. You must love it. You must welcome it. You need to find two or three people in your life that you can frequently go to and say, do you see any holes in my game? What what can I do to bear more fruit? Come on. And you probably need to ask the Lord that more often than you're asking him now. And we should want that because we want to be lifted up. We want to be reconnected. The second thing that Jesus talks about is pruning. It says this, that he prunes the branch so that they that do bear fruit 
so they will produce even more. Let me read that again. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Pruning comes because we're doing something right. Uh, I must be doing something wrong. How about you're doing something right? Those who do bear fruit, if they're going to bear much fruit, they're going to need to be pruned. Because what happens in our lives sometimes is we're this vine that's growing, and we have all these vines that come off our vine. Come on, if we're a branch, and we have branches coming off our branch, and those aren't producing fruit. Well, what they do, listen, what those branches do is they suck the life from the branches that do bear fruit. So what a good vine dresser does... What a good farmer does is he goes to the vine and he clips those branches that aren't bearing fruit. And we go, oh, I don't want to give that up. And he's like, it's not bearing fruit. Oh, it hurts. Why don't you just cut it off because it's not bearing any fruit. Stop doing that. We're not going to have this anymore. Come on. I'm not going to have this relationship anymore. Clip. Come on. Not going to have this activity in my life anymore. Clip. Just not bearing fruit. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And what's happening is the other fruit-producing branches are suffering because you're still feeding life to something that's not fruitful. So the good vine dresser prunes you. Pruning is the most important function of the gardener to help a, help a branch be healthy and bear fruit. Can I tell you today that not all growth is healthy? Man, God's just blessing every area of my life. And then you start looking at those areas and you go, are they really bearing fruit? Are they really connected to the vine? No, they're not. And really what it's doing is it's sucking from the areas of your life that do produce fruit. There may be things that are growing in your life that are not of God. They might not necessarily be sinful. You could be bearing fruit in every... In fact, you are bearing fruit, but you need to bear more fruit. You want to bear much fruit. Come on, how many you want to go there? You want to bear much fruit. And so there's things in your life that might not be of God, things that might hinder your fruit. So we needed... To, if, so in our desire to be fruitful, we need to welcome the Lord's pruning. God, what do you want to cut out of my life? What needs to go? Examine your life and say, what needs to go? I'm so busy right? We reward ourselves with being busy. I don't know why we do that. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And you wonder why you're not fruitful because you got 5,000 things going on. 5,000 things going on. You can't be fruitful with that much. You don't have the capacity to bear fruit in every branch. So allow the Lord to come and cut some things out. Some of you are discouraged because you will not welcome the Lord's pruning. Because what's happened is you're so drained that you're not, you're like, I'm just not producing fruit anymore. I don't know what's going on. Have you asked the Lord what needs to be pruned from your life? What can you give up? Come on. It's not a sinful thing. It could be a fun little activity. Could be leaves. We love leaves. God didn't call us to bear leaves. He called us to bear fruit. So those branches might have leaves, and they might look pretty, and they may be getting all this stuff, but they're probably robbing the other branches from bearing much fruit. So allow and welcome the Lord's pruning. Y'all okay? 
So what does pruning look like? Pruning looks like the tensions, the frustrations. Listen, when you're feeling that tension, when you're feeling that wrestling with, man, what am I supposed to do here? That's the Lord. He's pruning you. He's getting rid of some stuff in your life. Uh, Now, let me say this. God isn't a taker in the sense that he's not going to take your provision. Come on. He's not going to take your health. Come on. He's not going to take away your emotional stability. Right? He's not going to rob you of your joy. God's not a taker in that, but he will remove everything in your life that is not producing fruit. He will. In fact, we don't need to just look at him and say, oh, you're going to take that from me, God. We need to say, God, what do you want to take in my life? What am I doing that's not producing fruit? And please prune me. You want it? It's easy. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a disciple. He's the king of kings. Is he? Or is he just the king of the, of the branches that you like? Because as soon as he starts asking you to trim away the fat, you get all defensive. Well, not that, Lord. I'm not giving that up. (laughs) That's going to be the first thing to go because that's obviously not bearing fruit. Look at how much control it has over your life. Come on. He will remove the things, the attitudes, the mentalities, sometimes relationships, leisurely comforts, the fluff, anything that won't bear fruit. He will remove whatever is necessary to develop fruit in our life. And he's moving us into fruitful seasons. Now, if he's moving us into fruitful seasons, then we must first go through the season of pruning. You guys know, like, when you take a shower, and how many of y'all like taking long showers? I'm talking, like, 30-minute showers. Like, if you could, if you didn't have to get out, you would just take, like, a 30-minute shower. No? Some of you don't? Most of us do. Some of us, we won't get out until the hot water is gone. Right? Sometimes God gets the hot water out, so you'll get uncomfortable, so you'll move along. Right? Are you with me? Listen, transition is uncomfortable. And so many of y'all have gone through transition in the last year or so. Um, in 2010, I, Leslie and I, I'm just going to take some time today, um, went through a very difficult season in our marriage. And uh, there were a lot of foolish things that I was doing the way that I was acting, my attitude, I was kind of wore out in my life. Our ministry appeared to be fruitful. There were all these, a lot of things going right, but I was, there was a lot of things that Josh Brown was doing wrong. And so I started going through this season where the Lord was really correcting me. And uh, it was hard. It was uncomfortable, but it was really for my good. Are you with me? And so Leslie and I went through this season. It's very difficult. Our marriage, there was like this great distance between us for uh, several months. And uh, we, we went and talked to our leaders at the time. We're like, listen, we're having these struggles. And it just went bad. It just went really, really bad. Like we went for help and it, and it didn't help us. And so we start going through this process. And it seems like I'm trying to, trying to be a little vague this morning. I am because I don't want to be dishonorable. So we go and we try to get help. We can't get help. And we're, we're in this, like, season in our marriage that needs help. We're not getting help. And we're getting frustrated. The tension's getting worse. And then finally, we go and we talk to Leslie's parents about some of these struggles. And uh, it was really some things that we needed to hear from them because sometimes we just don't do real good at receiving things from other people. We went to Leslie's parents, and they brought the corrective word. 
they, they brought the word that really at that time, Leslie needed to hear. I was kind of in this mode of, I was being corrected and Leslie was kind of in the mode of being pruned at the same time. And, uh, and so we talked to them and everything like overnight was just changed. Like God just did an incredible work in our marriage, did a work in our hearts. So we were serving at this position at a church for almost 11 years. And uh, Leslie and I got married while I was there. And because of these marriage difficulties we were having, even though they were resolved, we ended up losing our job. This was a job that I thought I was probably going to have and morph into some other things. I thought we would be there forever. I really did. In our minds, we thought we were going to be at this place forever. Eventually, we'll move into some other things. We're in it for the long haul. And so we lose our job. We get released. That's what we call that in the kingdom. When you lose your job, get released. But I can tell you, it really was a release. And, uh, and so the Lord is just really working on us. We lose our job. And I'm talking about the job I'd had for 11 years. I mean, the, the job that provided for my family. And we were just in despair. We were in this very dark place. We were discouraged. We were looking for youth ministry jobs. We thought we were done with youth ministry. And uh, ended up taking a youth ministry job at a, at a church in Amarillo. And God moved us into this season of incredible health. We were very unhealthy. We didn't realize how unhealthy we were until all this stuff came to a head. Are you with me? We, we were just, we were going, going, going. And then boom, we realized, oh my gosh, we're really unhealthy. And we're really, we're bearing fruit in some areas, but other areas we're not. So what the Lord did, and the Lord did this, and he used people. Come on. Not, not, we're not justifying any attitudes or any people or anything. So what the Lord did is he removed this branch in our life, this offshoot. And our marriage, not in day. My character, you can ask Pastor Nathan. He knew me at the time. My character now is totally different. A lot of the attitudes and the things that I had at that age, different. God just did a cutting. He did a removing. It was hard, and it was difficult. And then God put us for about four months. We couldn't sell our house, all that kind of stuff. And then we move into this, uh, this church, and, man, God just starts doing a work. We start getting in a real community. We start discovering all these things about Jesus and his church that we never would have learned if we would have stayed where we were comfortable. And I can tell you, it was a very, probably one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through in my life was this four-month season. But there's, there would be no overflow church if we wouldn't have went through that season. We would be in a marriage that was, that was full of tension still. We would not have Elisa, our, our, our baby girl. We would not have Uriah, our son. We would not have these two children because we didn't think we weren't healthy enough to have more kids. But we saw our marriage bear fruit that we would have never saw if God would not have come and removed the thing that we wanted so bad. But he had to get rid of it because it was sucking from the thing that, was produce, that could produce fruit. Some of it was the Lord's discipline, him correcting me. Some of it was the pruning of the Lord, trimming away. But all of it, listen, all of it was the goodness of God. There were things that were said. There were wounds that happened. There was discomfort. It was painful. But it was the goodness of God. And it was the goodness of God that led us 
to a new season of our life. I want to give you five things real quick. And endurance, remember, number one, keep God's goodness in mind. I know I'm going long today. Listen, God is growing you and affirming you. When you start going through the hardship, understand this was the cry of my heart the whole time I was going through this. Man, God, you're good. God, you're good. I had to remind myself every day, God, you're good. God, you're good. You take care of me. You're good. You're good, God. You're good. You're going to have to be vulnerable with God. God, I feel like, I know that you're good, but I don't feel like you're good right now. You be real with God, but you also declare the faith statement. Um, don't get into a, a, a moaning victim mentality that says, oh, God, what are you doing? Or, or start getting on Facebook or with all these people, oh, just going through a test. Don't get into all that. Don't get into this victim moaning mentality. Just keep in mind the goodness of God. Number two, remember comfort is not the goal. The reason we need the comforter is because it won't always be comfortable. You can be comfortable and, and enjoy shallow, easy beliefism, or you can bear much fruit as a, as a disciple, but you cannot have both. You can be comfortable and enjoy a shallow, easy belief, beliefism, or you can bear much fruit, but you cannot have both. And may I submit that how you're responding to this process, listen, how are you responding to this process may dictate how long the process takes. Keep in mind, children of Israel, an 11-day trip took 40 years. 40 years. Why? Because they couldn't get their mind right. It should have taken 11 days. But because they allowed fear to come in, and they wanted their comfort. Number three, surround yourself with encouragement. Get around positive people. Get around authentic people. Not people that will flatter you, but people that will sometimes bring the firm word, but people that will also do life with you, and they won't distance themselves whenever there's frustration. Listen, our tension in our relationships should draw us closer. It shouldn't push us away. Listen to positive things. Get, get a podcast that you listen to. Listen to some worship music. Listen to things that don't encourage you. Whatever the hardship, just endure it, but don't blame God. Don't blame God and say, God, what are you doing? Don't get into this thing. God, why are you trying to teach me? God, why are you trying to teach me? Listen, that is a whack thing. Say, instead of saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? Say, Lord, what can I learn from this? It's totally different because one, we're accusing God. saying, like, God, what are you doing? The other one says, Lord, what can I learn from this? And number four is stay connected. Again, back to last week, we cannot bear fruit unless we remain. Can I tell you today, you are bearing fruit. You are producing fruit in your life that will endure for the ages. Fruit that you will have forever, for eternity. Those things are being developed in your life. Endure the process. Jesus is not going anywhere. He's promised to never leave you, to never forsake you. So, so because he's not going anywhere, you aren't either. Tell the Lord, Lord, I stake my claim. I'm not going anywhere. It's hard. It's through hell. It's through fire. It's through flood. It's through famine. It's difficult, God, but I'm not going anywhere. You're working in me, and you're working on me, and we're going to get through this. And I will bear much fruit because of it.